All right, so we are in the throes right now of this trial, Ari, um, in the um, Chauvin trial, Chauvin, Chauvin, whatever. This is the guy that put his knee on the neck or the shoulder of George Floyd, and there was a death that followed that shortly after. And I'm, you notice how I was careful about my words there because it's not necessarily true that he caused that death. Um, what I find fascinating is that and there's so many things that revolve around this. This is part of cancel culture. It's part of the woke culture. It's part of this a culture of intimidation. Uh, it's a black-white issue, of course, um, and it's a police brutality issue, of course. All these things are in play. Uh, all at the very wrong time, <laughs> okay? It's, it, and even COVID is involved to some extent because of the way people protested after the George Floyd killing. And Floyd was COVID positive, so he's the only COVID positive person in the country who died that wasn't classified as a COVID death. Well, that's a very, that's a very good point. Anyway, uh, I'd like to kind of put my lawyer hat on for the time being and discuss a couple of things because I'm, it's always interesting. When you are dealing with a trial, a criminal trial, you have a standard of a proof, a burden of proof, and it rises to a certain level. So there are, by and large, there are two burdens of proof, two levels. One is preponderance of the evidence. That is usually for what, what you would expect in a, um, in a civil case. Now, preponderance of the evidence is kind of what you expect when you see Lady Justice with the blindfold on, she's holding a balance, and, uh, you know, the weight of the evidence goes slightly more to one side versus the other. Okay, that person should win. So it's a subjective standard, but nevertheless, if, if you want to think of it as 50.1%, you believe person X versus person Y, well, then person X should prevail in that civil litigation. Um, in a criminal case, by contrast, that, that is not the standard. It's not preponderance of the evidence. It's beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, what does that mean? That's not mathematical, right? What's a reasonable doubt to you might be different than the reasonable doubt to me, but nevertheless, it's still subjective. Uh, we could both comfortably say, wouldn't you, Ari, that you have more than, uh, sorry, more than 90% confidence that uh, person X did that. that. That would be beyond reasonable doubt for me. Maybe 95% for you, okay? But in your mind's eye, uh, there's a certain percentage. You have to feel very comfortable that this person did the crime, whether it's a, a theft or murder or rape or you know, assault. Uh, that is what you have to feel comfortable with. So that's the standard that's at play in the show band trial in Minneapolis. So what, what does that mean uh, beyond a reasonable doubt here? I, I, I think they're going to have a really tough time. Look at all the factors that are in play. One of them is, in fact, the biggest you know, elephant in the room, so to speak, is the fact that he was high on fentanyl. Uh, and he had apparently three times the uh, amount to kill him. Not just, just, not just the, the amount sufficient to kill him, but three times the amount to kill him. Uh, and that he would certainly have died as a result of that. And we know that uh, fentanyl is killing a lot of people in America, especially during the COVID uh, crisis, because uh, people are at home and they don't know what to do and they get high. All right. So sadly and very tragically, we had a, a death just like that in, uh, in the school, uh, where one of the schools where one of my kids goes to. It's, uh, it's pretty awful. 
and uh, fentanyl had been laced upon this uh, molly that this kid got. Next thing you know, he's dead. So fentanyl, very dangerous. Uh, you're taking extreme risk with your life there. And uh, they want to pretend as if somehow that doesn't give cause for a reasonable doubt. Yeah, right. I mean, it's also on like five other drugs, I believe: meth, Percocet, heroin, cannabis, fentanyl. I think. Yeah, yeah. That, so, so he had a three times the lethal dose of fentanyl in his body, and you know, there's this thing whenever you watch like a commercial for um, diarrhea or impotence, um, be careful of drug interactions. Make sure you discuss using this with your doctor, just yes. in case something else you're taking does not work with this. So, so I, it's, it's a little bit like the example that I, that I often say, which is, you know, he died of a combination of bronchitis, asthma, and a bullet in his head, <laughs> right? I mean, okay. So it, it may very well have been that the bullet in his head, so to speak, was the fentanyl, right? Or, and the other combination of drugs, all of which uh, no doubt were very bad for him. And he was acting crazy. He was acting as though he were on some sort of drug. Uh, it may be a combination, like you said, Ari. Then you have the additional problem that <clears throat> the video that we've all famously seen at this point is not the video that's, I mean, that's been played, of course, to the jury. But there are other videos that had been played uh, before the, um, the, the knee on his back. Uh, there's also video of the exact same moment, but from a different angle. And that shows strongly that his knee was on George Floyd's shoulder, not his neck. Uh-oh. So, so much for the asphyxiation issue, right? He's so, not going to like that one. They don't like it. They, they want a narrative, and they want to go after him bad. Now, very interestingly, the, the opening statement of the prosecution, meaning that they want to send him to jail, uh, has said that, you know, guys, ladies and gentlemen of the jury... Uh, please, you're going to hear this argument that George Floyd had a whole bunch of fentanyl within him, and therefore that's cause for reasonable doubt. Don't buy this argument because he, <laughs> I promised myself I wouldn't laugh. Here's the argument. The prosecution said he was so used to taking this drug that he had developed a, um, a tolerance. A resistance. For, for a resistance and a tolerance, like alcohol tolerance, right? Wow. So therefore, it, was, it couldn't have possibly been. It's beyond a reasonable doubt that it was not fentanyl that created, uh, that, that led to his death. Interesting. That's great to know, <laughs> because that means kids across the country won't die of fentanyl as long as they get themselves used to yes. taking it. That's the more. Wow. That's that's the takeaway that everyone should have. So don't don't. So don't boys do and girls, drugs. yeah, do drugs, do drugs, but wean yourself onto them. Wean yourself. Mm. Pace yourself. Grow into it the right way, like a responsible adult. Just don't let anyone's knee on your shoulder, or you'll be alive. Right. <laughs> be respons. Take fentanyl responsibly, folks. That's what he's saying. That's the amazing thing. I mean, it's really, it was Ooh. breathtaking. Okay, so that's one thing. Then you, then you have the various different charges against him. There are three charges. One uh, is second-degree murder, which involves a certain degree of uh, recklessness um, and passion. Uh, first degree, of course, would not apply here because that would be, you know, he planned it out, right? He, he, that would be impossible in this case. And the it doesn't, racist Chauvin didn't plan to kill a black man that day. You have to plan it out. So first degree does not apply. Second degree uh, implies a certain level of recklessness and uh, passion in the crime. And, but you know that you're killing the guy. You have an intent to kill the guy. 
Then there's third degree, which is a certain level of recklessness where you should have known that uh, it, it would likely lead to a death. So, for example... Is uh, that manslaughter or is manslaughter... Manslaughter is a, is a lower level. That's but like but I'll, I'll get to that. I'll get... I'll hang on now. I'll get to that. So, a recklessness, like you know that you're, you're wildly drunk and you drive your car and you're driving at a crazy speed and you should know that there's a very high likelihood that you'll kill somebody. Or better yet, actually more appropriately, if you shoot a gun into a crowd, you, you may not have the intent of killing anybody, uh, any specific person, but in fact, uh, there's a high likelihood that you'll kill someone, right? And you don't know that person's name, man or woman, or child or adult, and so on, but still, uh, that, that is chargeable as murder. Now, manslaughter, like you just said, is more akin to the uh, drunk driver who the, the, the act of driving <clears throat> is not in and of itself uh, a murderous event, right, a lethal event, the act of drinking a lot is not in and of itself a murderous event. Combining the two um, can be a murderous event. And so it, it's so negligent under certain circumstances and going a certain speed under certain circumstances. And then you kill somebody uh, off the sidewalk or whatever, uh, you can be and should be charged for manslaughter. Okay. I, I don't know that Chauvin can even be charged for that because... Uh, what they would have to establish is that you have to have an underlying crime, and in this case, it would have to be an assault. And the, the best they can argue, and, and I got this a lot, by the way, from the Dennis Prager show and, and other shows, uh, the best they can argue is that the, the, um, the length of time, because it, the actual procedure was, was acceptable at the time, at least. So he was simply adopting um, police-approved rules in Minneapolis and he went about doing it. The question is, did he do it for too long, right? So that's a new thing, by the way. I mean, it doesn't say you, you shall only put your knee on his neck for no more than four and a half minutes, right? It doesn't say that. It, it just, you, you can do it as a means of controlling him until such time as you feel he can do it. So I don't know how they get around that because that, that is a big problem for them. Yeah, and then there's uh, two other problems, which is they called the EMTs. Twice. So they called the EMT. EMT is taking long, so they called again. You call the EMTs to save people's lives, not kill people. Right. And the, the, and I did not know this because I actually, I'm one of the people, I didn't even watch the video. I'm like, what's the point of this? You know, it just, so what? You know, I, I care about the riots after not, and uh, protecting my family from L.A. going to hell in a handbasket from all the things we've discussed before. But I haven't watched the video, but I've seen clips of it. But what I did not know is how unruly and dangerous the crowd was around them. And Ann Coulter released an amazing article that I read today that discussed that on the video, in the trial, you can see, and many of the witnesses called by the prosecution admit that they were screaming obscenities and threats at the officers. So what you see in the video is Chauvin looking out towards where the camera is, seemingly in disregard to Floyd's plight. But what's actually happening is those four officers are looking at this crowd mass around them going, what the hell are we going to do if, this, if we get attacked here? All right, so, so in other words, they're somewhat defensive. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that's a good point. Um, it's going to be a big problem for them. I, I, the, the only way that I see 
the jury, at least from what I've seen, I've seen a lot of the trial, by the way, not all of it, but a lot of it. The only way that I, I think that they can find a conviction beyond the manslaughter, I think manslaughter is a possibility. I do. It's the easiest out. But that would not... Um, uh, that would be not sufficient, I think, for the woke crowd. They want a murder charge. Uh, not manslaughter, murder. Uh, third degree would be fine for them. Second degree, even better. Uh, but they would not be happy with, any, with anything else. By the way, I think even if they got a second degree murder charge uh, conviction, I think they would still riot. I don't think it would be anything but, the, you know, it's not as if they're, the, the woke crowd, the mob, is going to nod their heads and say, okay, great justice was done. Thanks a lot. Let's all go home and tend to our wonderful families uh, because justice has been served up nicely. Nope, not going to happen. They're just, it, it's, it, there's going to be rioting of some kind, hopefully very minimal, but nevertheless, there it is. Now, uh, I said to you before that I am concerned, my main concern is that if they are to find a conviction on second-degree or third-degree murder, it will be because the jury is concerned about the violence that might ensue. Uh, they'd be worried that they themselves would be targeted, uh, and they're only doing things to protect themselves. Um, and what do they care? The Chauvin guy is a bad guy. He probably meant to hurt George Floyd. And, uh, you know, what do I care? Okay, he, he, he should go to jail for something. He, he was uh, probably erased. Uh, he, he probably did mean things in his past. Uh, that's, what, that's what I think. And so, I don't know. I, I really don't know how it's going to be. I do not, I think if this were not such a politically charged moment and a racially charged moment, if this were, were simply a white-on-white -white situation, a cop, you know, a family is now uh, suing the police department or, or seeking a conviction, from the prosecution uh, for their white child who is, let's say, 15 or 16 years old and a, and a cop, a white cop for that matter, uh, put his knee on the neck, exactly the same scenario, I think that the jury would, would uh, acquit on all accounts from what I'm seeing here. But because it's a white on black situation, because it's so racially motivated, because of uh, Black Lives Matter and so forth, I think we've got a big problem. I think Chauvin has a big problem. So we'll see. Um, I don't know when the conviction or acquittal will come, the verdict. Uh, we are now speaking, what, um, on April 8 of 2021. My guess is that a verdict will come in uh, within two weeks of today's date. And we'll just have to pray that the country will not go on fire. What can I say? But don't worry. Black Lives Matter has assured us that if we do not see a conviction to their liking, by the way, to their liking, uh, that you can, don't be surprised when all these cities go on fire, okay? Now, I, I take it only so seriously when somebody makes a, a charge like that. It's kind of like a threat that you get in the mail or otherwise, and they tell you how they're going to kill you or whatever. Those are the people that you least worry about, right? It's the people who don't say anything that you worry about. Okay, it's not as if, like, for example, Lee Harvey Oswald, he didn't write a letter to, the president, to President Kennedy and saying, I'm, I'm planning to shoot you when you're in Dallas, right? And I'm going to be at the book depository, so watch for, out, Mr. President. He didn't say that. No such thing was said. Same thing with um, uh, the guy who tried to kill uh, President Reagan, um, the guy who did kill John Lennon. None of those things happened, right? So the threats 
when they're written and they're actually uh, sent by email or, or whatever, uh, that, that's a time that I, I worry the least. So when a spokeswoman for, for BLM says this, I, uh, I take it with a grain of salt for the time being. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. That's the George Floyd matter. I'd like to talk about another uh, very interesting topic. And that topic is this simple notion that people, all these new woke ideas that seem so bizarre out there, and I'll just give two examples. One of them is this, uh, this notion that trees are somehow racist. If you, th there was this notion, I think it was in Oregon, Ari, where they offered this mascot, um, and the tree would be the mascot, but there was complaints, don't you know? Why would, it, why would a tree be a complaint? <clears throat> why would that invoke a complaint at all? Well, because, just wait for it, <clears throat> trees invoke the notion of lynching. Because lynching, in the old days certainly, uh, was typically done from a tree branch. And those trees are, I guess, co-conspirators with the KKK. So we wouldn't want that because it evokes the notion of lynching. That's, that alone is sufficient. Yeah, it legitimizes the existence of the tree. Right. So I just want to say right now that my alma mater, Stanford, okay, we have a mascot, an unofficial mascot of a tree I, at the Palo Alto. I hereby re, I will no longer give money to Stanford until such time as they abandon their unofficial mascot, the tree. And return to their original mascot? <laughs> no, not a good idea. <laughs> I don't want either of those mascots. And I will not give a single dime to Stanford until they get rid of that tree. Never mind that I haven't given to Stanford for the past 20 years. I will not give another dime. Do you want to let the audience know what their original mascot was? <laughs> yes, their original mascot was a crazy looking, it was a cartoonish uh, Native American and Indian, the Stanford Indians. Right. And, and it, was, it, it was not a very pretty picture. So, uh, by the way, I was at Stanford. So they changed to a tree. Yeah. In order it, to it, couldn't be more, it couldn't have been more innocuous, right? But, but no, you were wrong. You were wrong. <laughs> Trees are also are just as offensive as that. Now, I have to say, by the way, the, the Indian, uh, the cartoon of it, it was fairly offensive. It was not like the... Uh, uh, the, the Chiefs, the uh, yeah, the Chiefs, the yeah. Where, where you, or the Braves, very uh, resolute, very brave, very strong looking, you know, very proud looking. Nope, no, no, this one was, it was not good. This, this is the rare one that we all agree should have been changed. And I, and I will say, by the way, I was there at Stanford, uh, I think it was class of, in the year 1981, I was a freshman, and I was among those who voted to say that mascot needs to be changed. So they got rid of the, the mascot at that time. I was there. Anyway, uh, then the other one is another example of a crazy topic is the notion of Band-Aids being racist. Yep, you heard it here first. The, the notion that a Band-Aid... Well, you know what? Let's let this teacher... She'll explain it She'll explain it to us really well. Go ahead. Okay, ready? Go ahead and play the clip. White privilege. She's holding Think up some Band-Aids. Whose flesh tone is this? I have brown band-aids in my classroom. I had to special order them. They're twice as much as these, and they're hard to find, and they're frequently out of stock. But when I hand a brown child a white band-aid, I am literally adding insult to injury, and I refuse to do that in my classroom. 
All right, God, so she's a great teacher. She spent her I, own money on supplies. I love the way she says, "I am literally adding insult to injury." I mean, this this gives meaning to this teacher. Obviously, she's one of the wokesters out there, and she she feels very self-important. She's found an issue that she thought she could portray on TikTok. And I, by the way, I believe that she's sincere. I believe that she really believes this crap and that she is doing some great good for the world by, by bringing, uh, you know, bringing attention to this very important issue. But here's, here's my point. It takes one crazy person like her to announce something that is so bizarre. And yet the whole media picks up on it and we're picking up it as well. We're, just, we're using precious podcast time to talk about it. We're part of it. Uh, but it becomes a national discussion. You know, and they say, get this woman. And, and then there's discussion. Is she right? Is she wrong? Is she, is she crazy? Is she saying something sensible? But there it is. One person. This is the TikTok slash YouTube slash you know, Facebook slash Twitter culture that we have. It's not just the woke culture. But it begs the question, who is uh, advancing all these crazy causes, right? When, when people talk about cancel culture and so forth, right? What, what's going on? Who, it's not as if, I mean, who's behind the curtain? I guess that's my ultimate question. China. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to be that conspiratorial yet. Uh, I will. I just said China. But, but you, you don't know where I'm going with this. Who's behind the curtain? The, the question is, in this case, for example, this woman right here, this teacher, she's behind the curtain. And there's, all it takes is one person to bring up a crazy thing. It gets a little bit of attraction on TikTok or YouTube or whatever. And all of a sudden, it becomes a topic um, du jour. It's a cause celebre, right? That's, that's what we're seeing. And I think we'll continue to see that because... And, and we're all saying to each other, this is so crazy. Who would have thought this is an issue? I'll tell you why it's an issue. It's because there are enough crazy people out there, each of them with their crazy ideas, that suddenly have the ability to project their crazy voice uh, where they never had such an ability in the past. So 20 years ago, let's say the same woman, okay, wanted to bring up the point of the Band-Aids, right, that the... Uh, White band, you know, these band-aids are designed for white children and not, not sufficiently uh, sensitive to uh, children of color. Okay. She wouldn't have the platform by which to announce it. So here it is. You just have this. It gets, and it's so easy to share. And it gets shared for various reasons. One is because people actually believe that she's right. And I might share it because I believe, what a wacko, Right. Next thing you know, she has millions of views, which in turn, you know, propagate to even further millions of views. You get the idea. So you're going to hear more and more uh, tyranny of the minority. And when I say minority, I really, I don't mean like skin color. I'm talking about minority in terms of numbers. This is, a, she's a true minority, a one-person uh, show who now has been projected around and now creating a national discussion. And we're being tyrannized by her because she just has this crazy idea in her head. Same thing with the, uh, the tree situation, okay? It's so bizarre. And now we're supposed to talk about how uh, trees themselves are racist because, you know, some, some wacko associated it with lynching. 
anything could be associated with anything evil, right? I mean, I, I, can, I can say that pens are evil, right? Because pens or feathers, for that matter, uh, you know, the feather tip pen, they're the ones who wrote the laws, the Jim Crow laws, right? And there are laws about slavery back in well, the day. There are also the items that used uh, words that are correct, answers that are correct, and math problems that are correct. And being correct is clearly biased and racist. Yes, okay, so that's another example of how this, the tyranny of, of the one person, right? Where uh, some- i make that video. <laughs> Let me make that video right now, hold on. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly right. So, okay, that's another example of uh, the tyranny of the one person. Like some schmuck out there said, well, why should two, two, two plus two always equal four? I mean, if, if my feelings feel otherwise, it should be able to be five or three or 23. Uh, you know, that's the way. To, and then they talked about grammar being the same way. And, uh, and that it's okay to change history. These are, these are not voices of some movement going on right now. These are individuals saying crazy things and getting traction. And we don't have to give them traction. Now, the answer to that, you might say, is, well, Barack is saying people shouldn't you know, feel compelled to share these crazy videos, and they will anyway. You're right. Uh, I, I don't think that we can boycott them in the same way because, really, it's, it's su such crazy thinking that I can't help but forward it over to my friend Ari, for example. Get a load of this crap, Ari, I, I might say, right? But at the same time, we need to keep it in perspective. Here's the voice of a wacko. That's it. Okay, and, and what's next, right? But just because some wacko says it doesn't mean we have to fall into it. That's all I'm saying. Okay, tyranny of the minority. And this, in this case, it's a tyranny of the minority of one, okay? Because it's always one or two people who somehow get this a bee in their bonnet, and now all of a sudden it's a national discussion, and we all have to suffer for it, right? We have to, have the, we have to waste our time exploring whether or not these, these people uh, have a good point, and should we invoke it? And part of the problem is we used to have this tool in our arsenal as the wisdom of the majority, which was we used to be able to call people stupid. Yeah. And that tool, that was mean, so we're not allowed to do it anymore. Oh, that's that's, I, that's I, a really great point, and it's a great point. Uh, but what's interesting about this, and as such a dichotomy is at the same time, is that they believe... Uh, that, you know, they say 97% of scientists agree that there's global warming and, uh, you know, everyone agrees, therefore you're a nut if you're part of the 3% that doesn't agree with it, right? So, but, but wait, you say, <laughs> like, so this woman is a nut. I mean, she's not one out of, you know, she doesn't reflect the 3%. She, she reflects, you know, 0.001% of all the nation and, and even a smaller proportion of anybody else. She's the, only, world, she's the only one who's ever thought about this nonsense, this band-aid business. Right. In the same world, she would be fired on the spot for being so mentally warped that the, the, her bosses at that school would say, this person should not be educating anyone and, should, and no child should be in her care. Right, and, and I'm, this is ridiculous. What I what I'm saying though is it's more of a question of numbers here. I'm simply saying, when when it sits their fancy, then it's perfectly fine to be within the three percent or a much yeah. smaller percentage right. than they want. And when it doesn't suit their fancy, well then, you know, you're crazy for not believing with the majority, yeah, right? The science is settled. The science is settled. Yeah. Exactly right. So you know that that man can be women, uh, women can be men, and so forth. I mean, it's it's just. You know, you would think, by the way, that that 
that little part that we just talked about, the transgender stuff, the idea that a man can become a woman, you would think it would be just one person saying that, right? Like like this Band-Aid woman or yeah. the tree person. A lone nut. A lone nut, but a no. A logic, a, 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 an intellectual Lee Harvey Oswald, if you will. That's right. So, but but no, we we know that that... That one is much more of a kind of a, it's gotten legs, and people have seized upon it for political advantage. That's what's really been going on, right? Because they, they needed, yet again, to have a cause to create division. In this case, a division between men and women, uh, because, you know, they want women to always feel like they're victimized. And in the process, of course, they victimize women, uh, particularly when it comes to sports. But I digress. Yeah, and gays. Yes, is that course. an interesting study? Um, I heard a guy talk about this is really fast, which is really interesting. Uh, people who are children and they suffer that period of gender dysphoria, uh, where they go, "Mommy, I'm a boy," or "I'm a girl," when they're not, and it it reconstitutes itself into normal behavior soon after. The the vast majority of people who grow up to actually become gay are people who went through that period. But now, because they're surgically and chemically doing things to those people, they're essentially uh, harming the, the future gay person. All right, well, that's, that's, a, that's a different... But isn't that interesting? They're doing it both to women and to gays. The two groups they're saying they're most on the side of. Okay, you know? so I, I understand. I mean, look, it's a party, the party of irony strikes again, right? It's, uh, yeah. It's always that case. Oh. So they, they proclaim to be for, for women, but whatever they advance actually hurts women in, in the end. It's, it's, it's just, and I've said this on my radio show as well, we could spend hours, if not days, if not weeks, just pointing out contradictions and hypocrisies, right? I mean, a lot of what we do on this podcast, Ari, is about pointing out hypocrisies and contradictions. Hey, wait a minute. On the one hand, the Kavanaugh situation, right? On the other hand, when it comes to um, uh, Tara Reid and Joe Biden, uh, then she's, she's a nut, she's inventing the story, yeah. and so forth. Okay. Clarence Thomas on the one hand, yes. Bill Clinton on the other. Let, let's, not, exactly. let's not go there. You can I'm just, go there all day long. You can go there all day long, and we would. And, and the point is, they don't care about the contradictions. Your friends don't see the contradictions. It's like, it's like uh, we don't see ultraviolet light, okay? We're the bees, right? We, we get to see ultraviolet light, and we point out, hey, can't you see the ultraviolet light? And they say, what are you talking about? Well, I don't see ultraviolet light. Um, and, or, or colorblind people, if you like. So the, the issue here is that they, it's not that they, they couldn't understand what a contradiction is. They do understand that, but that doesn't matter to them. What matters to them is the ultimate agenda. The goal is power. The fact that you engage in hypocritical behavior to get there, that's just a weapon. That's what you do. Of course you do that. You think that Hitler was concerned, or Goebbels uh, and all those bad boys, that they were concerned that somebody might point out that they are being hypocritical? How can you say that Jews are the oppressors when you're the one, Hitler, who are, is, is oppressing them? Hypocrisy. You know, you know mic drop, Hitler. No, of course he wouldn't care about that. He's not interested in, in, in that whatsoever. He said, he would say, so, I'm gaining power here, my friends. That's my goal. And I'm going to gain power one group at a time, one sucker at, at a time. And ultimately, one day, you'll discover that I'm in complete control of everything and I'm telling you what to do. So hypocrisy be damned, as far as they're concerned. 
they, uh, they do it all the time, but that's just a weapon. And so for us to point it out to your classic lefty liberal, and, and, I mean, there's so many issues, right? The abortion issue, the immigration issue, the taxes issues, the minimum wage issue, uh, affirmative action is racist and so forth, uh, the, the voter ID law. I mean, we, all we would do is talk about contradictions, but it's getting us nowhere. Have you noticed that nobody's really, the liberals very rarely say, you know what, that really is hypocritical. You've made a good point there, Ari and Barack. We, we would have made a good point, but they're choosing not to listen to it because that's not of interest to them. They're, they're more interested in power. Just like the idea, the idea and we're going to get to the uh, Georgia law in a second. Just like the Georgia voter ID law, right, the so-called Jim Crow thing. So Delta uh, is bowing out of Atlanta, you know, encouraging a de facto boycott of Atlanta and Georgia because they are doing so in solidarity with the protest against the new Jim Crow voter ID law. Um, and yet Delta requires you to show their ID, to show your ID whenever you, you know, aboard one of their flights. So it's the same idea too, by the way, the driver's license. In fact, the, the ID that you would have to show in Georgia is any ID whatsoever. You could show a YMCA card, right? Or you get a, one of the many free opportunities of getting free IDs to, uh, to these uh, voter um, pollsters. So that's hypocritical, of course, but it wouldn't matter. Delta does it for their own business reasons and the left fosters it for their own power reasons. It's not about hypocrisy. But let's talk about this Georgia ID law, because I want to get into that. Here we have uh, something from uh, Trevor, Trevor Noah, right, on his uh, comedy channel. Um, it's, um, he calls it the daily social distancing, whatever. So he talks about the, um, the Georgia law suppression, okay? And this is the way he phrases it. Uh, let's go ahead and play the clip. Ever since last November's election, when Democrats turned out in large numbers, Republicans around the country have been working hard to make voting harder. And last week, the biggest voter restriction law just passed in one of the states where the results were the closest. A new law signed by Georgia's Governor Brian Kemp imposes a series of new restrictions on elections in the state. Let's remind folks about what that law does. It shrinks the window for sending absentee ballots, severely limits the number of ballot drop boxes, and gives more control of local elections to state lawmakers who are majority Republican. It also makes it a crime to give water or food to people waiting in line to vote. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about that first. So look at what the uh, various different things that, that, that this law proposes. Uh, she says that it shrinks the early and absentee voting window. Okay, Based, you know, compared to what is the first question you want to ask, right? Is, are other states uh, bigger than this, smaller than this? It turns out that a lot of states have a much narrower window. Okay, yeah, so that's Delaware that's doesn't even have one. Right, so it's it's a big nothing burger. Oh, Colorado, the the one that they're moving the MLB to has a narrower one, but that's that's neither here nor there, my friends. And more white people. It limits the ballot drop boxes, right? Heaven forbid. Never mind that they've been abused. Uh, more control to the state lawmakers, okay, that which is the way it used to be, and then finally what they said about uh, not giving water to people in line. Okay, so. <laughs> All right, we can take this all apart, but the bottom line is that this is about uh, just bringing back the law 
to the way it was in almost every one of these circumstances. Because it depends what the status quo is. The status quo before was that you did have to show ID. You'd, you didn't have these ballot drop boxes. You didn't have these mail-in ballots. Um, and you did have control by the state lawmakers. So that's the way it works. And they're talking about it as though it's an egregious thing that state lawmakers have the right to control voting when it comes to the presidential elections. Well, that's the essence of what we do. That's, that's the Constitution. And to make it seem as if it's an outrage, an outrage, racist no less, it's Jim Crow on steroids. Let's hear what uh, Mr. Biden has to say about that. It also makes it a crime to give water or food yeah. to people waiting in line to vote. Yeah, that's another President point. Biden last week slammed the Republican-backed law as sick. What I'm worried about is how un-American this whole initiative is. This makes Jim Crow look like Jim Eagle. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's that's the absurd. Okay, look, we've I, always I, said I, we, we've always said that that Democrats. They're very hot on adjectives. If you're ever lacking, if you're a writer, for example, and you're lacking for a certain way to describe something, don't go to the thesaurus. Go to a Democrat. He'll tell you the perfect adjective because every time they talk, it's all about adjectives. That's, that's the, the number one takeaway. But look what happened with Biden just talking about how it's, it's sick and un-American and Jim Crow on steroids, right? Th those are all adjectives or adjectives like and without any substance to whatsoever, without arguing the substance of the issue. The, the, the substance of the issue is this has nothing to do with blacks. Uh, where, where does it say anywhere in the bill, the proposed bill by Georgia, which is simply trying to codify the way things were before November 2020, right? It's, simply, it's simple as that. You can't have mail-in ballots. You can't have these ballot boxes that are randomly strewn about the city. Uh, you, you have a, a slightly shorter time window by which to put in your absentee ballots. And the voter ID, how, how, is that, how does that affect blacks, you know, uh, as opposed to whites? Where is it? Well, and they just say it in passing as though it's an obvious thing. Are you saying it's kind of like equal protection under the law, like it affects everyone equally? Yeah, I, I am saying that, oh. but where is it? I mean, it, okay, so let's let's. It doesn't say blacks can't get water or food. It says everyone can't right. get water or food. Technically, that's not true. It says you cannot be provided something of value by anyone with a partisan interest in right. line. Right. You can be given food and water by any volunteer organization as long as they're not partisan, by right. the way. Or, or a poster, for that matter. And so, so anyway, your point is well taken. And, and look, the, the point is that what's so disgusting about this, and that, that is an adjective that I want to use, what is so disgusting about this is that it is assumed that it will negatively impact blacks. It's assumed. Not you and me, Ari. We're not assuming that. Those schmucks are. Yes. The Trevor Noahs and Joe Biden and the entire Democrat Party who so righteously nod their heads to this, uh, the sanctimony when it comes to the new Georgia law, which is not really a new Georgia law. It's, it's actually simply codifying the way things had been before 2020. Uh, they make it seem as if it's some sort of radical thing. But they, they, they believe, they know that it's racist. They know that it impacts in their minds, uh, blacks and blacks only. No whites are, are why? Wait, are, wait, I'm sorry, let me, let me understand this. Are you saying there are no whites who would be impacted by 
the issue of water in, while they're in, in line? Are you saying that whites would somehow be less able to vote, uh, or blacks would be less able to vote versus whites uh, if you narrow the window for absentee ballots? Please explain. And, and the voter ID thing, that's the most racist part of it. The notion that somehow blacks are less able, it's like, again, assumed somehow that it's terribly burdensome for a black American to get an ID as opposed to a white American getting an ID. Okay, but th there I go again, pointing out hypocrisies, right? But what I am pointing out here is the obvious racism going on. They're the ones being racist. This, the notion of fighting this on racist grounds is precisely the racism. <sighs> and then left out in all this, is how many blacks are going to be affected by the boycott decisions, especially by baseball's all-star team, depriving the metropolitan area of all that revenue, and how will whites be benefited by giving that economic activity to the very white Denver metropolitan area. Right, right. So the reaction to the racism that they say hurts blacks, the supposed racism that say, they say hurts blacks, is then to hurt blacks in a tangible way, and reward whites in a tangible way. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's very strange. Yeah, Can I, mean, I say one fifth, By the way, just for percentages, you, and then I want to hear what, yeah. what you want to say, um, just to add color to, uh, pardon the, uh, uh, the reference, but to add color to the whole picture of uh, what Ari was just saying, the Atlanta population, if not Georgia uh, altogether, but I think Atlanta, the Atlanta population is more than 50% black. 52%. 52%, okay, there you go. And the percentage black in Denver, where the MLB All-Star game is going to, is uh, just over 9%. So, Oops. Like, like, okay, explain me that, Lucy. <laughs> All right, anyway, what, what did you want to say? And, and you helped clarify this. I was very confused by the Jim Eagle comment. Because, you know, I'm not the smartest. Okay, wait, okay. wait. We didn't play the Jimmy Go comment, yeah, you but did. You did. You I was it. about to. No, I stopped no, it. No, you played it. I, oh, oh, they, oh, yeah, Joe yeah, Biden. Yes, that's true. So yeah. I was looking up who the hell is Jim Eagle, right? And then, oh, Eagle Big Bird. So sometimes their, 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 uh, their uh, adjectives are so out there, they're almost confusing, you know? <laughs> Because I'm what? like, Crow? Eagle? I think, what I do think, eagles have to do with Crow? I think Jim Crow was an actual guy. He was an actual guy, yeah. so I'm looking up Jim Eagle. Yeah, it has nothing to do with that. I mean, I, th I think he thinks that the, cr the, the the word crow was actually a reference to a crow bird. A black bird. Yeah. Right? Uh, that's how I, dumb people that's, are. No, it was based upon a guy who happened to be Jim Crow. So how we changed it to Jim This is like Jim Eagle. Like, what? Wait, um, we're, fall I, we're not quite with you, Joe. But then again, were we ever with Joe? Right. <laughs> is, is America with Joe? Of course not. Yeah. But um, okay, so look, this is all emblematic of what we're dealing with. So we, got, we had uh, th this issue of the Georgia voter ID. Again, I always look to the ultimate impact of this or that issue. The, the impact of the, uh, the kerfuffle on the Georgia voter ID thing, that's all falling apart. On the Democrats right now, it's really quite good because people are beginning to say, uh, and, and really my hat's off to Governor Kemp. I uh, didn't like the way he handled himself during the 2020 election, but he's really holding true to these changes in well, the, he uh, lose, he's, so. to these changes in the Georgia law, uh, and I respect that. And, and he's been very tough on it, just like uh, DeSantos has been very tough uh, with regard to a lot of uh, uh, voter issues in Florida. So good for them, both of them. 
and they are being, um, the Democrats are having a really tough time because this is really backfiring on them because I think the nation is beginning to see this is garbage. Um, how you can somehow argue that this is racist is garbage. Uh, it, the only people nodding are the people within MSNBC and uh, CBS, ABC, NBC, New York Times, Los Angeles Times, Chicago Tribune, Washington Post, and Sesame Street. Okay, that's it. That is it. Okay, because people are not being fooled anymore. And when your Democrat friends are not talking about it on Facebook and Twitter, then you know that it's affecting a lot of people. I know a lot of liberal, lefty friends who are not saying anything whatsoever regarding the so-called racist voter ID laws and the new laws, uh, the, the restrictions that we just discussed, they're not saying anything about it. And the reason why is that they know they really can't say anything with a straight face. That's their problem. So this is the issue when you have these one-person tyrannies. That's what it is. It's a one-person tyranny that try to shape the national discussion. And people go along with it for, for quite a while, hoping it gets traction. But there really are one-person tyrannies. They're offensively, offensively absurd, whether it's the Band-Aid, whether it's the evergreen trees, whether it's uh, the fentanyl argument at the George Floyd trial, the, the, the Chauvin trial, um, or whether it's the voter ID thing. These are absurd issues. And so when you deal with absurdity, voters don't like it. They don't. They want common sense. They want stability, more importantly. They don't want to hate America. They, don't, they, they want to go back to their families. But you know what they really want, Ari, at the end of the day? Something the media to shut up. <laughs> that, well, that too. Please. They want one thing. They want fairness. They want things to make sense. They don't want to just have to wonder what's the latest opinion du jour that I have to adopt. They want common sense and stability and fairness. That's it. And the Democrats are not delivering it. In their quest for power, they are just reaching out everywhere, kind of like a drowning man reaching out for anyone to, to bring them with, with them as they drown. That's what it is. So think of that metaphor as we progress along with the next few years in the Joe Biden administration. This is Brock Larry signing off. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk with you next week.